0: Welcome to the Next Step Podcast with Jay. And Brad. Wait. Wait, I'm Brad. I'm Jay. I'm an uh, act. All right. Jay, we are live, finally. Hi, Brad. Back back at it. Back
1: at it in the we, studio. We didn't record last week because why? Um, we were in Utah, you traveling. Yes. Uh, so we actually missed our we meeting. We celebrated Brad's 100th and 7th <laughs> birthday. And, <laughs> okay. And, and we, we did had, it we by... Had,
0: we had someone show up tour to meeting that, that has listened to our podcast and was surprised that I didn't look 100 years old.
1: Yeah, he's like, whoa, Jay, the, you look exactly the way I thought. And you made up Brad to be like this old guy in a wheelchair, like half balding Mormon dad, like, you know, and Brad's got a full head of hair. It's it's cut very nice and clean and up with the styles of 2018. Thanks, Lexi. And it, thanks to my wife. We like to, we're the fountain of youth for Brad. That's yes. what we like to say. But anyways, that was cool. Yeah, he showed up and is share for the first time. I look better than I sound, apparently. Yeah. So if so. you're listening and you think it's like some creepy old guy that's really smart and some crazy young guy, it's not. We're both crazy. Yeah. We're both cool. And anyways.
0: Well, but one thing we did while we're on that trip that uh, I will probably post up on our Facebook, because I don't think I can do all three minutes of the video I have on Instagrams. Instagrams, you is, can actually is, if you break it down. But, if you yeah. listen, if you're a long time listener to our podcast, you've heard Jay talk about getting shipped off to a rehab when he was a teenager. Yes, 15 years old. And First experience. In, in Southern Utah, and he was not a member of the church. He drove by polygamous camps down there. And. As a kid, um, never a really kid. knew anything about Mormons. So, so I've heard this over and over again, um, and we're driving through St. George after breakfast, and he goes, hey, there's the there's the rehab place I went. And I was like, what? Right there, that building? Like right there, and you pointed the sign. Yeah, and you're like, yeah. And then we ate breakfast, and I'm in my mind, I'm like, oh, we got to do this. Do what? And so I'm like, Jay, we got to stop by there. For number <laughs> one, I want to see your reaction walking in there after, has it been 20 years, right? Yeah, years. I was 15. Yeah, it's almost 20. 20. Almost 20 years. And I said, for one, it's going to be good for you. And number two, I I know there's people working there that probably never have anyone come back and thank them. Right? They're, and yeah. relapse rate is so high, especially if you're forced to go to some camp. Handcuffed. handcuffed. Handcuffed, like you're not going there joyfully. And you talk so positively about this experience that I can imagine a lot of people think that is horrible. Yeah. So we walked in there. And uh Yeah. Well actually I might just pull it up and just play a little bit of audio right now. If it'll come across
1: here. Um It was crazy. Brad so Brad's like, hey, we gotta stop there. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And then we go eat breakfast. Did you think we were going to? I don't know. I was just like, man, what are we gonna do? I was hoping no one's gonna be there. I don't know what I thought. I was just I knew I know all my counselors aren't there anymore um, because I follow them on Facebook. But <laughs> and they'd be, like, 100 years old. <laughs> they'd, be, they'd be really old. And they are. like They're, like, your age now. But um, <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, you know, they're not there. So, like, who am I going to talk to? And I'm like, I don't want to be, like, that guy that shows up and is like, hey, I'm a know-it-all and I've got recovery now. But I, uh, I don't know what I thought. I was just, it was just weird to see that I mean, last time I was there because my camp was out in the wilderness, but we had to go to that building for one full day. And that f- first day was hell. Like, dude, that was, was the worst. At that time Worst moment of my life So let's see This is uh,
0: audio of you In the car Right when you're Going to get out I
1: don't even know How to get in though We'll
2: figure it
1: out Where we at We're at Red Rock Academy Which is where My beautiful mother Sent me when I was 15 And my stepdad They took a second Out on their home So they can afford To send me to a a Rehab Rehabilitation Camp To help save my life Because at the time I was drinking And drugs And dropped out of school And so Anyways they sent me here I have a back of a handcuff one day when I came home and brought six and a half hours here in the back of a Ford Focus. And here we are. We're gonna I was dropped right here, so I don't know. Let's go see what happens here.
0: So you don't hear Jay that nervous. He's over here nervous, and <laughs> they hearing it again. It was awesome, Jay. Thanks for letting me. Witnessed that it was great. It was um, it was cool. We're gonna get Got uh, to beat some kids. We have some, some uh, listener recovery. questions. We'll get to later, and it kind of re- we have some related about this. Um, Sweet. But let's get into some other news. Uh, one other thing we did on our drive because we drove from Southern California to Northern Utah, uh, and we were drove for two days and skied and or snowboarded Snow, and snowmobile. snowmobiled for two days. So
1: fun. Um, my so arm sore. Still hurts. Yeah,
0: everything hurts. Um, but we listened to President. Trump's State of the Union on the way home, right? Yeah, on the way home, I think. On the way home, and we both perked up as he started talking about. He spent 49 seconds of the State of the Union talking about the overdose crisis, and he, and then he said he claims 64,000 lives a year.
1: It's crazy. It's a lot. Yeah, I mean, he said something like, I just remember the stat of seven, seven per hour die from addiction, of some sort of addiction. And obviously he's talking, he specifically said prescriptions. He did, yeah. um, Which, you know, obviously the church has been talking about now for a while. And, of course, we know is rampant throughout our society and fueled by these drug companies and medical practices and stuff. But I just love the fact that our president, you know, it's it's so, it's sad it has to be talked about. But the fact that it's being talked about is not sad because, you know, hopefully, you know, this shows how big of an epidemic. If, like you said, 49 seconds of the speech to the whole country. Yeah was talked about this and the stats and numbers, dude. Scary. You learned in school about the
0: Spanish flu pandemic of 1918 yeah. um, that, that just Ohio, I'm going to read a paragraph out of this news article I'll post on our show notes. Ohio's overdose rate, just Ohio, spiked rising 41% from May 2016 to May 2017. We're talking about Ohio. Yeah. Small populated. And then in U.S. in 2016, 64,000 lives, probably more in 2017. Those For stats sure. haven't been finished yet with a vast majority related to opioids, helping to drive the average American life expectancy down in back-to-back years for the first time since the 1960s
1: because of opioids. They're affecting how long we live as a society. Right. It's, com- it's changing our life expectancy Expans- in the United States because of that. That's crazy. And, and this is not even talking. And that's just the prescription, not including um, op- what well, we know, heart disease, number one killer, right? So we talk about food addiction there. You talk about mm-hmm. diabetes, food addiction. Um, If it's type two, right? Right. Um, For the most part, usually it is. Um, It's just crazy, man. We We know the uh, adversary's driving. And
0: and we were talking about uh, some people we know that when doctor yourself, even when doctors prescribe it, they don't tell you that, hey, you're going to have massive physical withdrawals after this 60 or 90 day prescription I'm giving you. If you take it as described, you're going to have physical withdrawals. And then separate, some people have My, my, my prediction controls.
1: is in the next few years, maybe 10 years, hopefully it doesn't take this long, but hopefully it's sooner. Um, drugs, I mean, I was talking to a, a pain specialist doctor, right, um, before the meeting tonight, and he was sharing that uh, he was with a panel of doctors, and they were talking about how – Even him, this is his job to write prescriptions uh, for for people who have chronic pain and, and, and injuries and stuff. He's like, most surgeries, you don't need it. And the ones you do, you need it maybe for two to three days, four days, you know what I mean? And you can live with all the pain. But the fact that the way it's set up now is... A doctor asks you if you're in pain. Well, of course you're in pain. Who's not in pain? Right. Especially I mean, after surgery. I'm especially in pain or, right now. My, my Everything in my body hurts right now. i have been <laughs> starting to work out again from our trip. Everything hurts. And, dude, if, you know, back in the day when a doctor said, did you need this after this? And then, yes, I said yes. Because, man, I figured if it's coming from the doctor, it's good for me. It, it's interesting
0: because I have students at one of my school campuses from all over the world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I get a headache or whatever. I'm like, oh, give me some Advil or whatever. And then, so I think the same to them. I'm like, oh, because they legitimately have sports injuries. I'm like, Ah. oh, have you gone to the office and got this? They're like, no, why would I take that? They don't even think about it. It's not even part of their mind. They will not take Tylenol, Advil, or anything like that. Um, Where the American kids, oh, yeah, gimme, 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 gimme. So it's interesting, our culture, and probably because of the advertisements, because the the City Union article I pulled up was a drug ad at the top. I had to mute it. So on, on the article... On the article on are talking about drugs. ...was a drug ad. So that's... It's it just ingrained into our uh, body. And, and now with... And it leads into our next story uh, with social media. Um, the title is, The Formula for Phone Addiction Might Double as a Cure. But we get our news from digital sources that are just popping, popping, popping right in front of our face all the time. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, news, news... You watch any news channel, you watch any news, it's like filled with... Uh, either over-the-counter drugs or prescription drug ads. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're getting inundated
1: with with advertising, propaganda, we are dr- we're a drug culture. I mean, it's yeah. not. I, I used to at one point to think it's the pharmaceuticals' fault and it's this guy's fault. Don't get me wrong, they're driving a lot of it. Of course, that's not even a question. But reality is, it's not the doctors. It's not this. Is is the demand? You you're an economics major, right? Mm-hmm. If the demand isn't there itself, you know, the market self-regulates, right? Right? Uh, like but if,
0: but you as a company you can increase demand by of course, advertising in
1: advertising PR yeah. and don't get me wrong they're, they're the best at it and they're one of the biggest lobbies in the country or yeah in the world mm-hmm. but um, but in our country specifically but reality is it's just like dude, the demand is here now and we're drug culture until I think there is I I don't know I have a feeling though mm-hmm. of my generation and younger because of the organic movement and you know people are caring like my the the one thing that's good about millennials not a lot but the <laughs> one thing that's good about millennials <laughs> is, is the fact that there's this like. This, it's anti-establishment. almost hip, anti-establishment hippie vibe where it's like, dude, no, I care what I'm putting in my body and I'm mm-hmm. hoping that they're going to be the next leaders that then lead my kids, your kids, your grandkids, all this stuff, our grandkids um, generation that like drugs aren't the answer, like eating cleans the answer. I mean, you, I mean, think about it, how, I mean, you've been around longer than me and even in my short time, um, caring about what I am put in my body, like being, th- you know, what I'm saying is like being an adult, there's so, like... It used to be just a few granolas that you knew, like people that right. were eating healthy yeah. and organic. It was like that was a weird thing that some but people did. I, but I wonder if no, that's where we live too. That's we're true. In a ball yeah. Ball here. Yeah, I see that. So we we go uh, we when our. Our snowmobile trip. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. I, uh, you go to <laughs> carb any, country. Yeah, carb country, and then every, Maverick. Every Maverick. Yeah, every Maverick. Quadruple thing. Uh, Me, Me uh, and fisher. Were just I mean, where, talking where else do you have that?
0: soda companies like where you have lines uh, of cars? Me and Fisher were
1: just talking about By,
0: about that. buying buying soda, sugar drinks with extra sugar in it for yeah, more flavor. Yeah, that's true. That's true.
1: Uh. But I I think still I still have a lot of optimism for our future. I think that uh, that uh, we're realizing not about treating. The generation before us is all about treating the symptom, um, I, uh, meaning me as a millennial, and I think that the new is, is uh, prevention. The because fact that we're, we're talking about an epidemic, wor- words of epidemic, about is, is, proportion
0: is, is portion. Um, but I'm still our I advocate if we don't talk about drunk driving and all the deaths from that. It's like crazy. Alcohol all addiction. Alcohol addiction, yeah. So. All
1: these addictions. So one addiction
0: that I think many, many, many people have that don't like to admit, or if they do admit, it doesn't supposedly kill you is a smartphone addiction yeah so listen to the the uh, dan greenberg who was uh so he's a teaching since sorry where is that it kept move sorry um here we go uh what's this guy's name kevin's Uh, mike krieger kevin mike krieger founders of instagram Uh, so um, Ed Baker, who, be, who they became the head of growth at both Facebook and Uber, Kevin Seastrom, Mark, Mike Krieger, founders of Instagram, worked on projects alongside Tristan Harris, the former Google design ethicist who now leads time well-spent movement. Together, the Fogs Lab, they study and develop the techniques to make our apps and gadgets addictive. They created the addiction aspects of these apps that we use. And now we are navigating the consequences from Facebook's former president claiming that Silicon Valley's tools are, quote, ripping apart the social fabric of society. Wasn't these tools supposed to make us more connected? And now they're like, "Uh uh-oh, it's ripping apart social fabric of society? To France, uh, formally banning smartphones in public schools, so the whole country banned them from schools. we're starting to reexamine the sometimes toxic relationships we have to our devices. Um, and then they're looking, now they're going back to these product designers to educate. I mean, there's no, I'm an economics major. There's, of course, they're going to make them addictive. I mean, how many times do I get asked, do you want to have alerts? Do you want to have alerts? Do you want to notify you? Do you want to see this? Or, or do you want to invite this person? To to invite this person vision? nonstop. Um, and because the more time I spend on, the more money is made. It's better. it's like a casino it's like a, it's like a slot machine right Way to play the more time Way someone sits in a slot machine the more money the casino is going to make so yeah, it's I a think. mathematical fact so every visual stimulant audio stimulant smell stimulant is to get people in and sitting down so they can so they can spend sell marketing more notes. money yeah. and then
1: the same thing is more time on our phones to do it. What's so. all about? Yeah, driving that and I, but I, I was listening to this other podcast because I get pretty down on that whole f- aspect because it's like, man, we're going to be literally plugged into a computer like some futuristic movie where none of us leave, like the Matrix, <laughs> um, because that seems like it's right around the corner. But then this like uh, psych- this really famous uh, Canadian, the long gray hair guy, yeah, I saw him today. Yeah. listened to it all, dude. It's so cool. He he gave a very op- a Harvard, very optimistic Harvard, Harvard, yeah he, he gave a very optimistic view and said that um, that people as a, they said the same thing when tv came out they said the same thing when mm-hmm. radio came out. They said the same thing like, it was gonna ruin everything. Yeah. Like there's there is people. I'm not saying this is not the case, and it can't be, but he was saying at every major new technology that came out was always targeted for youth, and youth seem to gravitate towards because of their brains and where they're mm-hmm. at. They're more likely to try mm-hmm. new things. But he said as a society, as a people, we still have a desire for things that are real, right? It's why you we pay a lot of money for quality certain goods and things like that and things that are authentic. And he said that he he has ho- optimism and hope. And it kind of gave me a little hope that we, as people, no matter what generation is being raised with what, we still have a we have a self governing regulator that is going to you know that wants connection. And I think yes, this it's may the pendulum may have swung is what he was saying. But I, he he feels and when I was thinking about, it, I'm like, yeah, because it's very easy to get caught onto the doom and gloom because of some new technology. However, it can be addicting, just like TV can, like it was originally, right? For a lot of people, I'm I would too as a kid. I was glued to it. And I think about all these. You think I got glued to them, each one of them. Mm-hmm. But I self-regulate, so it's going to happen with this. But you got to be aware of it. You got to have that's, these conversations, yeah. right? Which is why you brought it up. That's that's the awareness. Is I think if you're blind to it, yeah. If you're, you're not really, yeah. You. If you're not realizing that these guys right. are trying to lock you in there to sell ad space to advertisements, right. You're where have you been? Totally. And if you're not realizing these blogs that we we've, we've follow quite a bit, and, and some of these things that are talked about, you know, there's a lot of blogs that do a lot of good things. I mean, this is considered, quote, unquote, a blog, right? Our Instagram is to help, right? So. Yeah. so blogs can have good motives, yeah, too. Yeah, totally. However, um, you know, there, you got to be aware of what you're watching and making sure that you realize that um, there are people trying Step to sell one. you things 24 right? years. honesty. So not all blogs are and, bad, and, and all social media And like media you need right? Like, ask around. Like,
0: if, if you really, the, the telltale is ask your loved ones ask your kids, True.
1: ask your spouse, hey, ah. am I spending too much time on this? Some of us probably don't want to hear the answer to that. For sure. Rusty, my, my own kids have said that to us. And I was thinking the other day when, you know, now they're starting, they don't have an iPad, but they have a Kindle, which is like an iPad. They play games on it, right? Yeah. And read and watch movies when we want them to. And um, I'm like, ah, they're on it too much today. And I was getting worried the other day. Because we say in the negative, like our generation now, like 30 and up or whatever, it's like, oh man, it's so crazy that that kid can operate that iPhone, right? My <laughs> daughter's not even two june and she can pick up the phone and operate it it but then you think about well if that's the future they're gonna be living in they're not you know then i want her to be able to like she'll be behind if she doesn't know how to do that right realistically like in 20 years but if she's two and can do that she can do it when she's 15 that's what well that's what i'm saying like what i'm what i'm getting at is it's just their world yeah it's what it's a world but it is an experiment to see how it's going to turn out for sure. But what I like of this, See, I, he, I locked on. I was really doom and gloom until I heard this, the one we we're talking about. I podcast, it then. Because it's, it, dude, the guy has brought, a, and this is a guy who studies human behavior yeah. way more than we, you and I do. And he, I, he's got a lot of optimism that I didn't think I would I would gain. Let me say his name because it's worth it. Uh, hold on a second. Like, it's, it's Joe Rogan Podcast. Well, I know that, but his name is Steven um, Pinker. I'll have to finish listening to it. And, uh, man, he gave me some optimism. I, for I do think
0: – I mean, obviously, we use it to promote what we do. That's um, what I'm saying. I just think there's uh, – I do – here's what I believe. It It's Anything.
1: dangerous
0: giving it at young, young age to young kids. Social media Social, aspect, social yes, media. I agree with that 100%. And the comparison I think the social
1: media right? aspect, because you're too yeah. young. We've talked about this before yeah. personally, I think maybe on here, that – you know when when is the you need to have this conversation with your spouse or yourself as if you're a parent and like when is the age that you want to get your kids involved with a never ending communication with their peers. You know that, I I yeah. agree with that full heartedly. I'm just talking about you know technology in general, but social media is a whole other ball game. Yeah. that can affect adults, let alone a ten year old, twelve year old, eight year old. That yeah I agree with, and I've agreed with you because we talked about this. I've asked you that question before when you put them on it. Like you're like, well, that's cool. Mike, my, my kid has a flip phone, but I regulate, and they have their own social media. But guess what? It's on my phone. Yeah. So I can see there ain't no hiding. Yeah, right. And of course, he can go off and start another. But the point yeah. is, is you've set boundaries and. Yeah. But you've yeah. had that conversation. But we also
0: don't know. Like, yeah, I, it's like it's it's crazy. Part is we don't know. So yeah, sometimes the fear of the unknown. But um, I think uh, as parents, as adults, as children,
1: addicts in recovery, Recovery. like be honest. You got to be aware. You got to like, be aware of the, your surroundings. Research what's going and be on.
0: honest with whatever
1: affects. Whatever. And we're you're gonna share out. that article that you that's a that's a good one. Yep, right. I'll do that.
0: Okay, let's uh get into the share. Uh, today's share is step six, and then we'll do ask the attic. We got uh, a topic we want to discuss about the sh- shooting star effect.
1: The shooting star. Can you explain
0: effect. what that is? And then we do have audience questions that I'm gonna ask
1: you. Perfect. Okay. I'm Jim and attic. Thank Okay. Grateful to be here. <laughs> Extremely grateful. Woke up today. I had. Uh, got the flu on sunday evening for 24 hours exactly i'm grateful for that because it was only 24 hours I was not grateful when it hit but i literally about 5:30 on sunday collapsed and said i'm dying which is what i usually do because i'm dramatic and uh you guys said he was dying okay and uh it's <laughs> literally what happened but like i i rose on the, on the first day um and uh and I, felt, I, felt, I feel great right now. And uh, I didn't get out of bed yesterday until 5.30 in the afternoon. So I stayed in bed. You know, I probably could have gone and done stuff on Monday or maybe worked or played or whatever, but decided to um, uh, take the Scripture to heart, where it says not meet the you shall run when... What is it? <laughs> Running up, or walking
2: up. Walking up.
1: Some, yeah, something like that. Basically, like, run when it's time to run and walk when it's time to walk. And when it's time to lay in bed, lay in bed. Now, that's a scripture that I obviously butchered, but wish I, would have took, wish I would have took it into consideration when I was on my mission because that's when my opiate addiction started. And I uh, could have easily probably avoided the entire surgery um, on my sinuses if I would have just uh, um, been able to on the days I had headaches to just stay home and like put ice on, just dealt with it. I could have dealt with it. Um, now I did have end up having cyst form in my sinuses, so maybe not. But the point was, is that I was overzealous and thought that by being a missionary or a member, that I was going to work my way into heaven, and I was going to because a lot of uh, the a lot of the the church history, which is awesome, um, is is a lot about work, right? It's a lot about sacrifice and. And a lot, of, a lot of men and women did a lot of crazy things from from the time Joe Smith, you know, established the church till till today. And uh, I learned about all those in institute and I learned about those in mission prep class. And I wanted to be that. I wanted to, to be converted like that. I wanted to be like all, uh, to be like um, Brigham Young, to be like these men that were just, just were willing to do whatever it takes. And um, I thought that was going to not only uh help hide a multitude of sin in my life before i joined the church which was just a year prior for me going on a mission but i uh, also uh part of me at the time now looking back i realized it was it was seeking appraisal from men and uh, and and i guess and women but i i felt like i fell into the culture and i remember uh um talking to my mission president um, I didn't plan on talking about this, but I remember talking to my mission president and, uh, calling him when I had these headaches and told him, it's like, well, this doctor gave me this pill. And obviously he's a retired allergist doctor. So he he got it and he understood. Um, but I was telling him, I was like, when I take this painkiller, the spirit's gone. It got to this point in the beginning. It wasn't that way, but it led to this point very quickly. I said, spirit's gone, but my pain's gone. And I can go out and work a full day. I keep the rules and get out there and I can work hard. I don't have to feel like I'm just like stressed out and coming home and I'm just – I need to crawl in bed because my migraines are so bad. Um, but if I don't take it, I have so much pain, but I feel a spirit. What do I do? And I remember asking him. I just wanted direction. I just wanted a simple answer. Tell me what to do. He didn't tell me what to do. He said, well, he you know, gave his speech about um, medicines here for, for a reason and these are prescribed. And if you're in pain, God doesn't want people in pain. And, uh, but he also left me with, you don't have to run all the time. And I, co- I couldn't comprehend what that meant. I mean, I was only, tw- imagine the energy I had now, I was 21 years old. And uh, I was a convert, and a lot of things had changed in my life. And I was running with the gospel because it was so amazing. And I had just finished the Book of Mormon on my mission. It was like, I just wanted to just do this. And when I would rest... And be idle. I felt when I was home, or whatever, or any any idle time of any sort on of the mission, I'd miss home. I'd miss my family, and I'd start thinking of worldly things. So, like, it was a part of me was just stay focused, stay busy, keep moving, and then and then you'll never, you know, you won't think about that. You know, you won't look back. It's like and you won't be turning dust if you look back. And um, shortly after that phone call, I decided to keep taking pills and to take them as much as I needed. You know, because I had unlimited prescription, and uh, by the by, a shortly month later, I was taking nine or ten Percocet a day, and I couldn't comprehend what was happening throughout the day. By that point, I broke like every rule. Like I, the the person that I was just when I made that phone call was gone, and I like I had a hard time. You know, when you're doped up all day, like I don't care who you are, like you just you you're doped up. Like and um and so I anyways that. Interesting. Um, I don't know why I brought that up, but the point is, is what I was saying is that um, sometimes you need to rest and sometimes you don't. And I'm glad I rested. Gosh, that was a long speech. Just to talk about how I rested for a day. But I rested for a day, and uh, when we were reading this, when we were reading this change of heart, I, I am. One thing came to my mind was that I'm so grateful that the change of heart is not on my responsibility it really isn't like i'm i'm asked to do certain things but the change of heart is not something i'm going to do i'm not going to work my way if i can tie back in that story from my mission i'm not going to run i'm not going to work there's not amount of effort i'm going to put this is like this is where we wait upon the lord this is like if you've heard that talk from Eyring and he wrote a book about waiting upon the lord and talks about this exact process and the change of heart that comes to latter day saints or to any person who is willing to to keep the commandments, it's something that takes time. And if you're like me and you're an addict like me, when I got to this step, I had been sober for a long time at that point. It had been over a year, and I still felt exactly how it said. It says right off the bat, it said, hey, yeah, you, you're, you're, your abstinence is great, but you still have desires and weaknesses, and you're still... In fact, they're more noticeable. You, I, I remember realizing like how selfish I actually was once I was sober for a year and how manipulating I could be and like all these things that I was high all the time for years and all these things came to my mind and that was a lot to bear at first. It was like, when you look at yourself in the honest mirror, uh, maybe not for everyone, but for me, it was a lot of staring back at me and a lot of ugliness and I was very uh, de- almost depressed and I uh, didn't know how to deal with it. How do I change? How do I change? How do I change, do I change my heart? And uh, it wasn't until I read this, I'll never forget it. We had just moved into our house here and I was reading this step and I uh, was sitting on our, in our living room, on the couch. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't have to come up with the answer again. Like I don't have to make these steps for my, I don't have to invent step six, step six is already invented for me. It was given to me by God. And the very same words are, you know what, just, just wait upon the Lord and do your part. And he's going to change your heart for your willingness to submit and be humble. And uh, James uh, Kennedy from the Thursday night meeting said last week, it was, a, it was a great little quote he said on this step. Pride perverts and humility converts. And our, our change of heart and our willingness to have our heart change is something that takes time. And it takes a lot of time. And I'm sorry. But uh, if you've committed sin for a long period of time or you've lived in the shadows in your darkness, then uh, it's not going to go away in one night. But it will go away and i could sit here and tonight and say that i feel extremely grateful to be here i feel so happy i I was listening to a motivational thing today on the way to work and i was just i just felt the spirit i just felt like my purpose and my calling and it's uh not just with work and my family it's it's with this calling uh, with addiction and it's not just in these rooms it's everywhere i go um just talking to a client today and uh something came up about this meeting tonight and then it led into the Mormon church. And then before you know it, I'm giving the first lesson, you know, and, and which I, I've already had millions of lessons with this guy. And so it's like, really, I just need to ask for the missionaries to go over. but, And then we're set. We had, uh, I'm grateful that this is uh, God's changed my heart. He's changed my mind. He's, uh, he's brought my mind back. I feel like uh, when I first got sober, I didn't think my heart or my mind were ever going to come back to me. I was uh, pretty delirious and pretty lost and pretty dark. I felt like uh, stopping wasn't enough. I could stop, but I still had all these weaknesses. And it says right here, as you experience the miracle of ongoing recovery, ongoing recovery. So not one year, not one year and a half, not six months. It says, first from destructive addiction behaviors, which I had, and then from character weaknesses, which I'm just starting to tap into some of my weaknesses and overcome some of them. It says, you will experience a true conversion. You will begin to awaken, to come to yourself just as the prodigal son came to him you will begin to realize that to return to Heavenly Father's kingdom, you must not only awake but arise and allow Christ and allow Christ to be your redeemer. And uh, that's how I feel. I feel like when I allow Christ into my life, he's there. He's ready to rock, you know, change everything and become my rock and center my soul and calm my anxiety and tell me I don't have to control everyone around me and I don't have to change other people's heart. I don't have to wait for them. I just... Focus on myself. If I focus on myself and my conversion with, my, with Heavenly Father, then I'll be a better father, I'll be a better husband, I'll be a better friend, I'll, be a, I'll serve better in this calling. I'll be a better sponsor, sponsee, client, uh, uh, worker. I'll do everything in my life will be better. And I'm grateful for that because there was a time in my life where my ego, my weakness, before even the drugs, most of my life I thought I knew everything. And uh, I thought I was in control. And uh, I found out pretty quickly, with my rock bottom, when my wife left me because of my drug addiction and because of who I became on my drugs that I had prescriptions for, uh, that I wasn't in control. And uh, there was only one that was in control and I had to give it to him if I wanted my heart to change. And I really feel like it's been a long process and I'm just, I'm stoked. I can't even imagine where four more years will go and where that will take me because Feel pretty blessed, even through all the trials we're facing this year in life. And it's just a new, new year, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful you guys are here. And I hope we just take this step, and whatever we learn tonight, we share about. And then we just, if you feel comfortable, go share it with other people, you know, if it's about yourself. And that's how we're going to fill these rooms. And that's how we have all these other meetings going, is because we're willing to, to open our mouths and, and to not be ashamed of our past. I don't see any prophet in the Book of Mormon ashamed of their past. So I don't know why we would be, and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
0: Addict. That's me. Today it's you, Jay. Yes, it is. So is we it got recording. Some,
1: How come I don't see the lines? It's oh, there Because I
0: haven't zoomed, zoomed out. So okay, cool, cool, cool. cool. So, uh, ask the addict. I have some questions for you. Okay, let's get into that.
1: Um, in no particular Where'd you get order. these questions from?
0: Well, I posted on our Instagram account you of did? the Next Step Podcast, and then I had people question there, send us direct messages. I got a few texts as well. You did. Um, cool. And so let's go. Some first questions one. that you like
1: to ask an addict. What do you mean? Yes. So
0: first one. Okay. What would Jay say? Uh, let me. Re- uh, the language. is hold on here. What would Jay say to do? Okay. What would Jay say or do if you found out your teenager was drinking, smoking marijuana on a regular basis? I get this a lot. Yeah. You probably get this. I get yeah. it around. Like, uh, I get that call from parent. Uh, hey, uh, we just uh, found this out. Um, what's your? You gotta. What would you find out if Rusty's fifteen? Twelve, whatever, and you grab his social media and you find a direct message and it's a video of him taking a bong rip
1: Ooh, or that'd be rough.
0: drinking beers or whatever.
1: First of all, theres it's hard to say because I'm not there, but um, being the addict who's been there um, when I was 15 or 12 or 13 or whatever, and uh, I think the, the key thing is uh, what I talk to parents about when they have young kids, if you don't teach your kids about the world – Guess who is going to teach them? It's the adversary or the world itself. However you want to look at it. You don't believe in God and Satan. Well, then if you don't teach them, the world's going to teach them, and uh, the world teaches some very false truths. You know, false truths like false. They're not real, right? They're fake. They're they're like you've talked about. They're replicas. They're their hook line and sinkers to get you to do things that
0: counterfeit counterfeit, anything, counterfeit that that's what I was at. anything yeah.
1: that's good. And so the first thing I would say if I found out would be to sit down with them in a in a place, not a rushed environment. This is something that is this is a lot of weight on this type of conversation and, and so not overreact. Not right overreact right away right. right, even though of course our first reaction of all parents is to react because we're like because we know. Mm-hmm. Right? We have knowledge. And so, but we have to take a minute to calm down, to collect our thoughts, and to put yourself as a fifteen-year-old, thirteen-year-old, whatever your age of your kid, and and understand where their understanding is, um, and and then confront them and and tell them you know how much you love them, you understand you know, and be real. I think so many times, but this could be hard for a Mormon. I think about a, a regular born in the church, never done it. How do you? Like, I'm going to be able to sit down with Rusty and be able to share my story. If that's when, when I share it, then that's when I share it. Hopefully he's already heard it before then, but, you know, just You're not quite him. about it,
0: but, but at the same time. I have a lot of friends that probably partied it would, in, in high school. and So it'd be easy a little bit probably, to share. Probably you'd have no idea.
1: Exactly. So, like, but I could see if you're Mormon, you're born and raised in church, you've never touched a drink or drug, and all of a sudden you find out your kid is you can't really connect with them in the way. So what i would do though is you could still connect with them as their parent and tell them that you love them, you understand you understand the pressures of life and then society and what it's like to try to fit in and how hard it may be and that you know and that you may not fully i think one thing to share with your kid is I'm, i don't understand what you're going through, right? And i want to understand and listen to their response because my mom would say stuff like that to me and i would just go i want everyone to live my own life. But really, there, that wasn't the answer. I was I wanted connectedness. I was, I was scared. You know, on the outside, it was I knew everything, but on the inside, I was like, I know nothing, and I'm so freaked out right now, and I don't know how to deal with life. And that's usually when then you turn to doing what other people around you are doing, because that connectedness can come in the beginning. And um, I would set healthy boundaries with them and talk to them and say, Listen, you may be you may think that this life that you have right now at 13, let's say. You live in this home, you get, you get clothes on, food, and, you know, you get to go to sports, you got your social media, and you got your laptop, and your computer. Guess what? If you haven't had this talk with your kid, you need to, this is a good time to, these things are all luxuries.
0: But before this happens. Before
1: this happens, but if yeah. you find out, this is the yeah. question, yeah. is yeah. if you find out, then now's the time to talk to them about how setting a reality check in their life that, you know, the government says, I just have to provide food and clothes for you. That's yeah. it. And a roof over your head so you're not dirty. And that's it. But guess what? Everything else, you know, uh, is a privilege and, um, and, and that you love them and, and you don't want to have to go that route. But, you know, getting them connected, too, with someone that you may know that has been through that because if you've never been through it, it's going to be hard for you to understand. Um, so finding someone like me in your area or your friend group or, you know, whatever, you know, speak out, speak to them. I've done that since, since I was 15 years old and I got sent to that program since the first month I got back to now, I've had women, like mom, my mom would connect to me with some mom, and I was still not even really doing good in my life personally, but I've been to that program, call and, and, and have them let me talk to their kid, or talk to the mom, or talk to the dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's something special when another addict, well, sorry, when someone's been through it, talks to someone who's going through it.
0: So here's something I've learned one thing that I probably. Would advice is not overreact because they may not be an addict. Not at all. Just because someone (laughs) smoked weed or drank alcohol doesn't mean they're an addict addict at all. So would you say, knowing what I know now, I'd reflect on what's the family history, what's my history, what's my family history, what kind of tendencies does this kid have? Because sometimes you can kind of tell you have an addictive personality or not. Totally. Um, And I would, would you weigh that into the the
1: discussion? Yeah, and yeah, yeah,
0: because you've got addiction in your family's history.
1: Yeah, to, but like it, like it says in AA and the Big Book, it says if most of us stopped at a young age, we probably wouldn't okay. have progressed into full blown addicts, right? Okay. Where our whole life that's is dependent. Wise. But um, that, that's regardless, probably of whatever the kid is like. Look, totally. If you
0: continue this, the likelihood of becoming an addict is much higher.
1: Which is which is crucial too, because what I see on the flip side is most parents they brush under the rug, like, oh, he's just smoking weed. Some kids like, if you have had a past. Or, and you pull through. And you pull through or you're some overly optimistic about the future. Reality is, like, not all kids make it. Like, mm-hmm. it is very common for a kid to start on smoking weed, start drinking, start messing around with street drugs, and then get hooked to painkillers some point in life, end up on heroin, and die before they're 23 years old. The statistics are, I think, if you smoke weed or do drugs before age, like, 50, I don't know, in your youth. You're like 10 times more likely to like become fully addicted to a s- serious substance that will kill you before you're an adult.
0: And in and, and our culture today, I laugh like I don't laugh, but the helmet culture, you can't get on a bike without a helmet because of the small percentage chance. Or you're not going to go in the ocean because you might get bit by a shark, which are probably way less statistically dangerous. Yeah than experimenting with drugs, or alcohol. Yeah, I think, and
1: if you're LDS and you're listening to this, or even if you're not, you know, pray to your Heavenly Father and, and ask for guidance and um, get some other people involved. Get, get another, someone that you know who's had some life experience but with this. But what if
0: people are going to judge me and say, my family's not the perfect uh, LDS Living magazine family? Then I
1: would say check your ego because you got, you got an issue. If, you, if that thought comes through your mind, and yet you're talking about your own child who I hope you love more than yourself and your ego, and you think about your ego... Then you got, a problem, you got a problem there. So first thing I would do is say a prayer, ask for guidance, um, try to calm down, and then to ask the kid what's going on in their life. Because if someone sat down with me and really did that, mm-hmm. instead of telling me what not to do all the time, yeah. and said, hey, why are you doing this at school? Like, why do you get in trouble and get kicked out every day and then get yourself kicked out every year? If someone would have finally maybe answered the right way, maybe I would have been like, "Oh, because I, I don't understand what's happening." And like, that's a you, that's a crappy feeling to feel like every day that you're yeah. you're not good enough, and, and that's so, not easy to admit. It's not easy to admit. So, but no one ever really asked either. <laughs> like, people are just like, "You, you, you need just to stop, 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 stop! Like, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. You can't act this way. You can't do this." And and that was your coping mechanism. And so, you know, so I know that's not really a straight no, answer, great. but so recap: don't overreact, pray about it,
0: listen involve other people
1: and, and yes and get us involved I man listen if you i know we do this we're not famous by any stretch of any imagination i'm a normal person that will help any parent or any addict anytime any day you get you message us on our social media like you did and you send us you know send your number and i pro, or you know and i'll call you or we can talk or we can talk via message and i'll i'll give you my best advice in the moment and and i'll even talk to your children i don't care um, I've because had, I had
0: two this week. Parents I talked to. There you go. Um, it's not okay. easy. So uh, and there and we're not alone. Uh, what I found in the recovery community, and even in the church, like people will help. I mean that's we're here to serve. Sometimes our egos are checked, and people pretend like they were always Peter Priesthood or, or, uh, Laura Laurel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mary, my maid, or whatever.
1: Yeah. Molly um,
0: Mormon. Molly Mormon. There it is. Okay. Next question. What is the best way to support a recovering addict that lives on his own? In other words, like most addicts this person speaks with usually has a spouse or family support, mm-hmm. but this person has zero family or spouse, has some friends, but they're an, an addict. What's the question at the So what I get the gist of it is a recovering addict, 100% solo, like okay. no family, okay. um, no spouse. What kind of, or they get support
1: by can they find support? Uh, in the meeting. I mean, so so even though I had family and loved ones and all that stuff, I knew no one besides one person that took me to my first meeting, Right. And then now I have a phone book of hundreds of people over the last five years that get me, get the program, get recovery, get what I need, they're there for accountability, they're there to help me. I'm there to help them. And the, and the point is is you need to get to a meeting. And if you, like we've said this a million times, you don't got to ARP, don't cry about it, go to an AA meeting or NA or SA, whatever it is that your addiction is. Go to a meeting. You will find people that are just like me and Brad and just like all the people you've ever heard on this podcast that are willing to go out and above their way, to give you support, and they don't even know who you are right now, and they will do it in the drop of a hat. All you gotta do is ask. Yep. So, it, so there's no excuse for you know oh, I don't got no family in this or I got no loved one. It's definitely harder, but guess what? You know what? At the end of the day, no matter how many people I had in my life, my mom gave me a roof over my head, money, and helped me raise my kid when Lexi left me. But as when it comes to recovery, I had to do that on my own. Like you know what I mean? Like I mean, yeah, you do it with the sponsored and stuff, and you have people helping you along the way and carrying you. But at the end of the day, it's you overcoming you. Mm-hmm. So anything else is just an excuse.
0: And, and if you have a, a emerging ARP group and there's two people there,
1: travel you be the if, if, well, if and you be the third person, and you be the third person, and then go travel again. Don't I go to that. one meeting a week and say that one meeting sucks. Go to every you know. We heard Xander say tonight in the meeting: If you're new to this thing and you're looking for support, go to 90 meetings in 90 days. That's the that's the normal. Like
0: how serious? Prescription. To, how serious you want to be living in recovery? Amen. Okay. Okay, one more. Um, how can addicts gain more resistance?
1: Um, I found that the more, the more, the easier it is for me to resist temptation, it comes with the thing called momentum. And uh, the only way you can gain momentum is by starting right in anything in life, right? You got to first make the decision, right? So first it's the decision step, like step one, you know, you get admit step two and three are decision steps. And then you do step four, which is actual action. And that gains momentum, First, you get you know, make a decision to go, I'm going to go to that meeting that I've heard about. I'm going to show up. I'm just going to show up. I'm not going to share, but I'm going to show up. And then you show up, and then you f- you know, maybe you do it the first time, maybe you do it your 10th time, whatever. The point is, all of a sudden, you're like, well, maybe I need to share now. So now you share. See, all these things are steps and actions that are, are past decisions. And, but I, I believe that the way I've gained the most resistance and the most ability to like resist temptation or whatever it is, is through my momentum. If I don't have momentum forward, then I have momentum going backwards. I finally realized in my life at 31 years old, five years sober, that if I don't take care of my physical, spiritual, and mental and t- temporal needs and desires, then you know, and, and make sure I work at all four of those things, then guess what? I'm 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 having momentum going the other way that I don't want to go. So I have to wake up every day and and make a commitment to myself to not have excuses or justifications. And then you gain momentum, and then resisting is easy at that point because when you have momentum, you have momentum. You're going up. Sounds like now.
0: working the steps. That's kind of the action.
1: Action the is, is the key.
0: Okay, one more, and then we'll get into shooting star. Okay. Uh, it's a long one, and there's a question here. Um, I've been really listening know. to the podcast here in this area. I won't mention the area. For the past month, I truly appreciate it. I've been attending ARP for 18 months. I'm 90 95 days sober uh, from pornography addiction. I'm doing all the actions and found that actually doing steps four, five, eight, nine have unlocked a new level of peace in my life. Our group is small. We have between three and eight people each week. And I've been the facilitator for the last six months, kind of by default. And over the past two months, I have opened up to pro- to family beyond my wife, some friends and coworkers. <laughs> One of them is a new bishop who was surprised by the number of people who visited him with various addictions, most prevalently pornography. At this point, I'm feeling a strong desire to bring the message of hope and ARP to more people. In your interview with the leading LDS, you mentioned the best programs have, one, someone who's willing to break anonymity, and two, a good mix of people, including people who can be sponsors. I am... I am meeting with our group leaders, the local LDS Family Services sponsor of the Area ARP program and our Stakes High Council ARP sponsor to discuss how to bring this message to the stake and beyond. I think they mean sponsor by like the host, not the term of sponsoring. My question, sorry for the long email, is how do we get a strong sponsorship program started? How does one effectively sponsor someone? I've listened to the first 11 episodes so far, so it may be covered, but... Um, I would love to know how to how to be sponsored, and how to sponsor someone, so we can start this doing more effectively in our program. Might be a long answer, and we do cover quite a bit in our meetings and our shares. So, how, how does what does it mean to be a sponsor? And in his terminology, in ch- our church terminology, eldest family sponsor that just means someone's calling and overseeing it. Yeah. That's not being a sponsor in AA and ARP. So the
1: question is, how do you be a sponsor?
0: How do you be a sponsor and how do, you, how, does, how do you get this culture of sponsorship? And we've had to grow that here, right, in other meetings?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, you can talk about the culture and how to get that going. As far as being a sponsor for an addict, uh, first of all, you have to have done the steps yourself. You have to be sober yourself. And then once you've done that, um, you know, I've heard from day one you can help another addict in recovery. Like, you know, I mean... But, you know, once you've done – you can't – how do you help someone climb Mount Everest if you haven't climbed Mount Everest? You know, you're you're talking out of you know what. And so – but if you've done it, then guess what? You're qualified. There's no. Qual- the only, that's the only qualification I know is that you're being sober and that you've of done the steps. 4, if your
0: desire to serve, you're called to work.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of scriptures that back that up, and so. But you got to do the steps, and then and then then you just. I mean, a sponsor is not someone. Say, when I first started, I thought a sponsor is a motivator. He's someone to and, and he's someone that's going to call and and keep them on track and be a, hold them accountable. I'm going to hold. I'm going to hold them accountable. That's hold. what you thought it was. That's what I thought it was. And yeah, a sponsor can be those things and. A a lot more. And now I've come to realize five years into this, that every time I tried to hold someone accountable, or pull them along, hold or pull them. Uh, yeah. Hold them along, pull them through whatever it is. They all failed miserably. And, I, and whether that was my fault or their fault. All I know is that as soon as I realized that, wait a minute, I'm not the savior in this program. I'm not the key to this program. I'm just someone that is there to. So we heard tonight being at training wheels, basically to listen to them. It's a self program. They do the steps with themselves. And you're just there to call out their BS if they needed, you know, if they're given some excuses and justifications in their life. You're there to kind of call them out sometimes. And then you're there to just kind of listen. You're not really there to do much more than that. And you share your experience.
0: And and basically, what you do is, and I've heard you say this, you like go home and fill out the questions in the back of the book.
1: Yeah, the technical things.
0: Yeah, do this. Answer these questions. And then we're going to sit down and talk about them.
1: Okay, yeah, that's a, the technical term is you give someone the book. You say, I want you to reach out to me every single day until we get momentum in these steps, till I get to a certain point. you know." Like we get a daily a, check-in? Yeah, you I want mean? a daily check-in, either phone call, or email, or text message. Obviously, I'd rather a phone call. But in the beginning, that's going to be hard for most addicts to do um, because they're going to be isolating. But I want you to take this book home, read step one, answer the questions in the back of the book. And as soon as you answer those questions, I want you to call me, and we'll meet up, and uh, we'll go over it. And that's how it starts. And when, and when you meet and you, quote, go over the steps, are they like... Uh, they are, they, we read the question, they and read they, the answer. And they read what they wrote down. Yeah, and then I give insight or I listen and we move on. And you share,
0: like, yeah, that's how I felt, you know, you just... Mm-hmm. Basically, the spirit dictates that conversation. From there
1: on, yeah, like, you'll know exactly... Like, I remember Lexi asked me when she sponsored her first wife in recovery, you know, like a spouse. What I say? I'm like, oh, just... Just wait. The Spirit's going to tell you. Like If you think about what to share, then you're not going to share the right thing. Like, you need to pray and ask Heavenly Father what these people need to hear. But a lot of the time... Just and the crazy part is, is like you're helping these people that are so desperate, you know, they're in step one or two or three. And reality is, you're being helped the whole conversation because you're seeing yourself in that person, you're remembering when you were in their shoes and all the excuses you made, and this and the other. And you get to reflect on how much you really have grown. And if
0: you're being full of crap when you're trying to help them, it doesn't help you, yeah, so not, nah, yeah, be honest, yeah, but soul. you
1: don't need to be perfect. Remember, this is a program. Sometimes in the church, we create a culture of uh. A perfect, not progress, when reality is progress, not perfection. And the irony is, is if you focus on your self-progress, guess what? You're going to perfect a lot of things in your life, yeah. right? Yeah. But don't stress about being perfect, right?
0: Well, and and in the book, it talks about trusted advisor. Mm-hmm. That's your sponsor. And yes. if you're in an area where there's no ARP, it may be a counselor. Yeah. Um, but it but definitely, it, it doesn't qualify. Need...
1: If you're a drug or alcohol or sex addict or one of those things that are life-threatening, please. If your bishop has not gone through the program for himself in recovery, he is not your sponsor. He's, I mean, he could be a very great counselor. He can be there to spiritually guide you, and he holds the key to your church spirituality and all and that jazz. There's a role
0: for the bishop in a step huge role. three and step seven. Is and, and
1: and throughout the rest of your life. But the point is is he can't be your sponsor unless he's yeah. been through it because mm-hmm. it won't work. I prom- It's not that he's not qualified. He's not a great guy or a yeah. bad guy or whatever or your, or your friend or your neighbor or your spouse or whatever. If they haven't done it, then how can they do it? Remember what I said. If you haven't climbed Mount Everest and you're going to go tell someone to climb Mount Everest and how to do it, people die every year with guides. Mm-hmm. So, like, right. so, yeah. yeah. So, it's yeah,
0: don't be. We, we uh, I had a friend that uh, said, oh, I have this person and I'm her sponsor. I'm I hear like, it all the time. No, you're it's not. Crazy. No, like, you're, not. you're not. We, we not hear that, it all the time. Like, like, I can't be a sponsor. Like, yeah. I'd be like, what? I can I can tell you some what to do go to a meeting. Yeah. Share. Yeah. Get a sponsor in a meeting who's and You can fill them in shapes. of
1: all the stuff you've learned because uh, that's what you learned, that's your yeah. experience. I can share my experience, Exa- but I cannot which, be a sponsor. which is deep, but you know, and, you know, and gratefully so, you know, we need we need people that aren't, you know, otherwise we'd lose hope in this world, but if, So yeah. another
0: resource if you are in an area that does not have uh, anyone with recovery that can be a sponsor is go to arp support.org. This is not affiliated with the church. This is just some um, members of the church uh, who started this website to link those that are in recovery with those that need sponsors. Um, so I don't endorse them per se, except try it out. Yeah, No different than going to like three different meetings and saying, I need a sponsor. Yes. Um, so if you really want to get recovery, don't just wait for something to come to you. You, you take action.
1: Take ownership and, uh, of your life.
0: Okay. Um, that is it for questions. Um, let's move on to what you want to talk about, which is the shooting I star. I never effect.
1: ever wanna like pick subjects, but this is one I we've been talking I yeah. feel like it's just come up a lot. Yes. Over the last few years. So
0: describe what in your words, like, okay. what is the shooting star effect.
1: So bear with me. It is ten o'clock at night. Uh, <laughs> I've had more caffeine than humans are supposed to have today. I've done a lot You're of work. Cra- I've done a lot of I worked out and I'm starting to crash and I'm sweating for some reason. Well, I know why I could add a lot of caffeine. But anyways. So the shooting star of a theory of mine. It comes this from is Jay my Maryfield. Jared Maryfield's theory.
0: Possibly the next step podcast. Once I hear it, we'll see if the podcast endorses it. Right now, I'm just saying. It's Eventually,
1: shooting. it'll be taught in church, and okay. uh, and, <laughs> and at one of the general conferences, it'll be talked about. I promise you. It probably already has. Yeah. Okay. I've, but, I've
0: seen it. Um, go ahead. Okay.
1: So so my my and this comes from my own personal experience, by the way. So this is not a theory just from me watching and observing. This is something I've done. Okay. When I first joined the church. I was at a place in my life where I was ready to lay down my weapons of war per se, right? Like it says in the scriptures and embrace the church, embrace the culture, embrace anything and everything and be all in. And I was. It wasn't fake. Mm-hmm. I had amazing spiritual experiences. They and kept tapping daily. And anyone who serves a mission and you found that, quote, golden contact, yeah. that's what happens. That's what happens. It's awesome. They get thrown into church, and then everyone at church is like, you're amazing. You're awesome. And you're like, I know. This feels great. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm special, too. Like, Yeah, will you come speak? We've had these, yeah. And you're like, yeah, I'll speak. And you start to think you're unique. And, yes, you know, it's unique to you. Mm-hmm. But reality is, like what I'm getting at is this this thing starts to happen and you, you just embrace it. And if you think about a pendulum, the older I get, I never understood this, but someone explained the politics system to me, the two-party system, which I don't know if I agree with, but What I'm getting at is there's a pendulum, you know, and we need opposition. Well, we're told in the scriptures, we need opposition in all things, right? So you need them both to balance each other out, right? But what happens is you go from living outside of Christian life or whatever, and you join the church or you get some faith and the pendulum, the ball swings to the right. And now you're this hardcore to this and that and the other. And what I found is for most people, including myself, when they have that experience, they become self-righteous. And that's actually a scripture it talks about. It says, right, it was very all men, what does it say? All men, when they, what does it say? See, It's the nature of most all nature, men yeah. to get a little authority, they become self-righteous and dominion and unrighteous dominion. That's what it says, yeah. right? Okay. So that happens in conversion. That happened to me. I joined the church. The pendulum swung so hard, I went on my mission a year and a half later, had amazing experiences, and then I found myself right away on my mission where I'm there to serve others and help them have the same experiences I had a year and a half prior and throughout the last year and a half of conversion. And Instead, I found myself judging other missionaries who I thought were weak mentally and spiritually and physically. I was judging people that wouldn't come to church. I was judging the members that weren't following their rules and this, that, and the other, and, and I've seen that happen with a lot of people. What I'm getting at is then... It's like a shooting star, and this happens also. Let me tie this in. That's the convert side of a shooting star. It also happens with recovery, and when someone first gains recovery, not everyone's like this. In fact, most people aren't. But a lot of people, it does happen. They're ready to lay down their weapons of war. They admit they're an addict. They get a sponsor. Their first meeting. They start doing the steps. Once again, pendulum swings dramatically. The spirit
0: just flows, flows in because that's it how will. it is.
1: It is supposed to do that. Whether you're a convert you a exactly. recovery, it
0: like fills that God hole
1: exactly quickly. But just like a shooting star, for both of those scenarios of the re- new addict in recovery and the new convert to the church, shooting stars. And we should look up. I should have looked this up and had this prepared. But the definition of a super uh, a shooting star versus a supernova. Okay. We should look that up because talking I'm talking all the time. Yeah. The shooting star, from what I know about science, it's this thing that gains a lot of momentum. It's really bright. In fact, it's brighter than, like, anything. And then it's there, and then it's gone. Like, as soon as you're laying there, you've been camping. You go yeah. camping all the time. Yeah. You see that shooting star. Everyone's looking for the shooting star. And yet we're not really even, like, everyone's looking past the stars that have been burning for light years, yeah. right? Like, years that we can't even relate to. Time that doesn't even make sense to our brain. But yet, we're up there staring for this bright shooting star. And it's kind of like the church members that are born in the church are like, I can't wait till we get a shooting star. Like, oh my gosh, you're a convert. This is amazing. Well, you know what? It is amazing. And conversion is amazing. and Admitting your faults and joining the church and admitting and joining the program, it's amazing. But you know what's really amazing is... Consistency, and it's one of the hardest things, and uh, I've had to obtain, and I see everyone to obtain. And what I've seen is, is the pendulum swings to the right, and usually the judgment comes, and some, you know, it's just crazy. It's almost characteristic of, of everything. The um, then all of a sudden life shows up, right? So say you're six months into this, a year into it, three years into it, whatever your time frame is. All of a sudden now. Life challenges happens because life shows up is what we call in the meetings. You have a challenge of death in the family, lose your job, this, that, the other, wait, whatever it is. Someone says something offends you. Offends you. All these things happen. You you sin. All of a sudden you sin. And then you go, boom, life shattering. Like, whoa, God, whoa, did you? Hey, whoa, I've seen people say this. I've said this myself. You look up at the heavens and you go. Where are you? Are you kidding me? Look what I did. And you kind of really – you're not having the same mentality now that you had when you started, which is why the pendulum swung in the first place because you were humble and meek, mm-hmm. right? Then all of a sudden you become prideful and and uh, demanding and and justified in what you deserve. And, and those types of words happen. And then you see the burnout. And the burn is just as fast as the shooting start. You know, it's rapid. It just boom, and it crashes. We're a supernova, uh, the technical term, but basically – it's a star that slowly, right? Isn't it? Like takes it takes thousands says, of years. supernova
0: is a massive explosion that occurs when a star dies, essentially the death of a star, and and, and is extremely luminous. It caused by the burst of radiation that outshines a particular galaxy and eventually fades out during the course of weeks or months.
1: Okay, so maybe that's something I yeah, A shooting star is in seconds. Yeah, it lasts longer than shooting star. Yeah, basically, what I'm getting at is. You know, we don't you barely, wa- you barely graduated high school, so... Barely graduated high school. And... Uh, and... But I've, I've realized that me, myself, and, and, and... So when I first, okay, joined the church, I did that. Okay, year and a half, like I said, year and a half, went on my mission, became judgmental. Then all of a sudden, I had surgery, and God showed me how I was... He was going to... Cool. He's going to introduce something into my life to help me overcome this new self-righteous, Jay, that came out of nowhere...
0: Well, I was a naive 20 year old on a mission, and you meet people that drank and smoke and had all kinds of addictions, right? Yeah. Teach them the gospel, got a testimony. They stopped. You know, if you stop for a week, you can get baptized, right?
1: That was it. It was like a requirement in the Philippines. And then
0: I look back now, I'm like, there's no way they overcame that addiction. So, you know, they came, they came to church, they were on fire. Mm-hmm. They probably relapsed yep. and then felt the shame. And then like justified shame, and then they left. And no one's like, "Oh, why?" Do, they must not have a strong testimony, but you know they have a strong testimony. They just they can't. The, I, I saw that, so that's why when I learned about the ARP, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I wish I had this on my mission," because it would have been so powerful. Because they are so honest when you're with your missionary, they're like, "Oh yeah, I got to quit this, got to go to this, got to go this." Like, You've been drinking, you know, six six pack of beers every night for the last twenty years, and you're gonna stop in one week, and then. Never drink again.
1: Uh, yeah. Or there's never so smoke many. There's again, so many reasons or, that leads to the uh, burnout quick. So what? Besides, that, besides that, addiction,
0: right? Addiction, yeah, that, one of that,
1: that happened to me. And so when I first came to the program years later, after being this fellowship, having the whole thing happen to me, my wife leaving me, being massively addicted, when I first came to the program. I saw an opportunity to be the shooting star again. And and to I mean, what I'm saying is I'm, we all know I'm a natural salesman and I could sell myself through anything. But when I had reality faith, when I finally did step one and I got it honest with myself and admitted how fake and how big of a taker I was and how self-righteous I was and all the things that are just you don't want to ever look at yourself in the mirror and see, um, I didn't even have the ability anymore at that point to fake it. I, didn't, I like I was so low that it was almost... Detrimental, but what I wanted to, at the time, I just, I was just like, man, I just want to, I want to discover the honest me, like who is, who am I really when I'm not trying to pretend for this praise or that praise or do things out of fear of God. You know, so many of us we 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 repent because of fear, and although that's healthy to a degree, um, you know, hopefully we get to a point in life where we repent just because we don't, you know, we love God and we don't want to hurt Him anymore, and we don't want to hurt ourselves. We love ourselves enough where we don't want to hurt. What I'm getting at is the, my recovery did not happen overnight where my reco- my joining the church seemed like it happened overnight, even though it didn't. You know, it was a lot of things. But what I'm saying, I didn't – people don't realize this. I said this to someone the other day, and he freaked out. Um, I don't think I've said a real prayer, like, for eight or nine months of going to the meetings every week, you know, when I was first started the program. And um, I didn't – for me, I just needed to do – I needed to get sober first. And then once I got sober, then slowly my my – it was a slow process to come back to Christ. It was a slow process to admit my wrongs. It was a slow process to humble myself enough so God could show me my weaknesses. And then once he showed them to me, then, then they become weak. Things have become strong. But, you know, it's take a lot of humility. It takes a lot of faith. And the shooting star effect I've seen a lot in our area, and I've seen a lot in my life personally. And anyone, even with, like, business, right? I got a friend in my business, you know, that – she was very motivated to become top sales rep, and usually I'm the top sales rep. <laughs> but um, and the reason why I share this is not because I've been this person too. And one year, so the, not last year, but the year prior, to so 2016, she beat me by like 30-something signed deals, right? And it was tremendous. I'm stoked for her because the year prior, she barely sold anything. What a dramatic change. However, the very next year, which was last year, 2017, so went from not barely succeeding at all to beating the top salesperson, oh, yeah. then to the next year selling 50% less of what she sold the, that year she was top. And that's, there, here, here's the analogy I'm talking about. Anyone <coughs> can, if you set your goal and you, you, like, you're like, you determined and your goal, like anyone can, changing is not the hard part of <coughs> what I'm trying to say, sticking is that change. sticking with the change, consistently getting results time and time again. Isn't that the gospel about Right? It's like exactly. consistently. And here's consistently, here's the irony, Brad, that we're talking uh, about this. When I was on my mission and we had just got preached my gospel right when I got there, the fifth Principle: of The gospel is enduring to the end. And I remember when I read preach my gospel, I'm like, why do I even need to talk? Like, who wouldn't endure? In my mind, I yeah. couldn't even fathom myself sinning, let alone and yeah. not enduring to the end. What kind? Of, I didn't did, like. I didn't even teach it because I didn't understand like, it. I'm like this is stupid. <laughs> These are the main things. Like you don't know what you're talking about, God. These are the things you need to get baptized. You need to get the Holy Ghost. You need to go to church. Go to the temple every single week. You blah, 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 and read your scriptures and the, endure. That's natural effect, which it is. But no, man, life's there are sometimes we. Talked about this where you got to cling to the rod right. because life is going freaking gnarly because you can't control, you can't control your things in your life. You can't control right, other right. people. You can't control illness. You can't control all this stuff. And sometimes you got to cling. And you know what? You know what I was getting at with the shooting star effect is that, you know, don't be that the bright shining thing that burns out quick. You know, God doesn't want that. Don't fake it. You know, be real where you're at and let the progression let the progression build naturally. There's a lot of pressure sometimes to jump all in and, you know, you get, like you said, speak here, speak there, speak at stake, you know, all this stuff. It's like, all those things are great. And they definitely were testimony building for me, but, um, you know, make sure you're, you're growing at a natural rate. That's good for you. And, and that, that you're being thorough and honest with your, the things you're doing. And, you know, I look at now when someone gets a year chip, I'm like, that is amazing. But what's really, or not? I shouldn't say that, like six months, 30, I don't know. There's no number that I don't think is amazing. I think it's all amazing. But anyone can get sober is what I'm trying to say. But to maintain sober, I I only know a handful of people, right? And hopefully I know a a lot more, you know, as I get older, right? And I'm going to see a lot more people doing it. But realistically, Brad, I mean, I only go to one meeting, so I'm a little sheltered. But, you know, the local ARP meetings, but I can only know of a handful of people that have stayed sober, you know, long term. Ten years or more, five years or more. I only know five people, four people, and there's a lot more out there. But the point is, is a lot of people come and I see them get year chips, two years, and they disappear, and then they relapse and they disappear, and then you know, or I see it as either disappear. either
0: they disappear, relapse, or they get selfish and like, yeah, I'm not going to help anybody because it's a lot of work to be do step twelve.
1: Yeah, m- more more than likely care. though, I mean, uh, what I've seen is n- is not that. It's usually people just they they think they're cured, then they relapse. Mm-hmm. That's it. And then they're too shame, or they try to come back, and they can never—they can't get over their ego that they fell, like you yeah, talked about. And so the reason why we're sharing this is not to—I not, mean, this is not necessarily. Well,
0: true, last week was our relapse talk, so yeah,
1: so it was on my mind since then, and but it's on my mind because I've been that person, and I don't ever want to be that person again. I don't—I don't ever I don't want—I don't care. I used to be superstitious. We get that way, like knock on wood. I'm gonna have so you know been sober for five years. Thank God, one day at a time. Yes, it's all those things, but reality is like you got to, if you don't, ha- you lose, the only reason when you lose your surprise, you lose, you lose your goals. You lose, you know, you're not doing the things that got you sober, you know, and I don't know. I don't, I, been, well, I don't know.
0: That's in line with uh, some advice I gave to someone who asked me um, about a loved one that uh, just went into rehab this week mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of new to their whole family mm-hmm. and whatnot. And this is what I told them. Tell me if you agree with everything I said. I was just firing off thoughts. Okay. Um, that the person, uh, you need to accept that addiction is a lifelong disease that can be treated, not cured. So, maintaining vigilance is critical. So, going into rehab and getting sober and coming out maybe 30, 60, 90 days, that's the beginning of the journey. Um, but I could see my old, my old self would be like, sweet, they kicked it. We're good. Why do you have to go to meetings? Um, Our uh, music came in a little early. We're keep talking. So you agree with that?
1: Yeah, we talked about this. Remember, we said uh, your response to someone the other day was, "Why go to more meetings?" Like, why do you go to church weekly? Mm -hmm. I remember that when you shared that the other day, I shared that with someone. I was like, "Oh yeah, Yeah. duh!" Like, I never even Normie
0: asked me. A Normie friend of mine, and I never even thought
1: about that analogy. People have
0: to go to. I just like, always say it's like, yeah, you got to go.
1: But, like, I never thought about it. was like, well, didn't, how come when you don't just get baptized, get your covenants, and then don't go right. back? Yeah, go to John Conference twice that's a year. It. Twice a year. That's it. And, you know, but, take but, sacrament but, when you sin, maybe. Yeah, right. But you're probably, you feel like you need you feel it. feel like go. you need it, go. And then, you know, it goes, you know, it goes back because we obviously know that <laughs> this is a life process. And during that last principle, that fifth principle of the gospel, it may seem for years. And see, this is what's tricky about life. I know people that have lived... 30, 40, 50 years where temptation to curse God and die has never come through their mind. And they used to read the story of Job and go, I can't even fathom life being so miserable because they've been protected or whatever the, their mm-hmm. circumstance. They made a lot of good decisions. They had a lot of good luck. Life has worked out until it doesn't. And all of a sudden, some type of life-altering situation jolts them into a reality that they've never been before. They've seen other people before, and now all of a sudden, they're in it, and it's really easy to then, because here's what I said someone said this to me the other day is if some I look up to people who have never sinned or have never who never have uh, used drugs or alcohol because they've withstained and I said, and they those are strong people. I said, for sure, they're strong in a lot of ways. However, let me ask you a question I've never been able to, how does a man know if he's strong until he's been tested? Like, realistically, right? Until you, I just talked you how sore my legs are from working yeah. out, I haven't worked out, and it used to be my favorite thing to do is my legs now. You know, you walk around, you think you have this strength until you go and you freaking hit the gym for the first time or, <laughs> or you go snowmobiling, right? My freaking thumb hurts from the <laughs> throttle, let alone getting hurt. You know, legs from snowboarding. We th- we walk around with a false sense of faith. Anyone can say on Fast Sunday that they love God or when they get called to do things and, and churches, when life is good, it's very easy to say they have faith in God. Mm-hmm. But when... That's why we have the story of Job, because when it all falls apart and your own wife says, curse God and die, all your friends have left you. You've lost your children. You lost your job. Everything's burnt down. Can you then say, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving me the life I still have left. And I'm grateful for everything. And I look forward to tomorrow. Ask yourself that. I promise you right now, I I I thought I would never, ever fall away after I joined the church. I would never sin again. I would never lose my membership. And I came close to losing it all multiple times since that day. I remember even on my mission saying this is I will never leave this thing. And within short uh, years later, I was I was falling apart and my testimony got foggy and that mist of darkness got confusing and that clean to the rod was almost impossible at times. Um, and so. You know, be careful for, you know, the false securities of what you think your testimony is. If you're not working it like a muscle, I promise you, I promise you there will be a time where life will show up. And it'll either be strong because you're working it all the time, which I think is something that you, you know, one of the biggest thing I think about you is you haven't only abstained from drugs and alcohol. Um, You saw loved ones and everything go through it and you decided to sustain. You're on the front lines of working it. So you're working a muscle even though you're not working in a sense where, you know what I'm saying, you are. Like, you are strengthening your knowledge and you're on the front lines of helping other people. And, and what I'm getting at is be careful with uh, the false security because before you know it, like, life shows up. And you now have a lot of tools. If life were to show up now, it's still going to be just as hard as if you didn't it's have the hard, tools. Yeah. However, you got a lot of tools in your tool belt that you wouldn't have had if you weren't putting yourself out, you know, strengthening a muscle.
0: But I've also reached out to you a few times. I'm like, oh, crap, this is going down. For sure. And just airing it out with someone is very healthy. It's
1: huge. It's huge.
0: Why don't you end with this quote? Because you just brought it home. I want to end on that. But you posted that on our Instagram account. I think that it it lays pretty well with what you said. It's pretty
1: good. I posted uh, up. This is huge. Uh, Faith does not mean trusting God to stop the storm. It means trusting him to strengthen us as we walk through the storm. I'm telling you, if you're alive today, and if you haven't gone through life storms yet, just get ready because they're going to show up eventually. I don't care if it's small, big, or, or large, or physical, mental, spiritual, or temporal. Life shows up to everyone, and God is God's not putting that storm in there to hurt you. He's He's got an enabling power. I love the quote from tonight's step. A lot of people think the twelve, you know, the atonement is for afterlife. No, that's the craziest thing ever. It is. It does save us from death, physical death, and spiritual death. But the atonement, that enabling power, which we learn about all the time, we learn about in these steps and in these meetings, is to do what that quote just said, is to, the enabling power of the atonement is to help you walk through the storm because that's how we have the strength that the Savior said. If you had a seed of a mustard faith, the seed of a mustard, you can make mountains move, you can walk on water, you can do anything. But it's so hard for our brains to wrap that around. So wherever you're at in your recovery at this moment, just get honest. Usually it first starts with honesty. The momentum picks up after that. Go to a meeting. Just call your sponsor. If you don't have those things, get one. And uh, thanks for listening.
0: Boom. So if you enjoyed this, why don't you share this message with someone? Hit share on whatever device you're going, hey, check out this podcast. Listen to this one. We've got quite a few on there. Um, if you feel like we're doing good work and you want to support us, go to the website, 12stepschange.com. There's a little donate button there. That would be nice. Um and then uh, also hit us up. Give us direct messages, emails, whatnot. It does put wind in our sails. We love hearing uh, recovery. So uh, that keeps us here late at night doing this
2: on our own time, on our own dime. Until then, Jay, I'm an addict. Like, late. Dear Lord, blesses us with love. From thee, help him, we pray, to learn humility. the man Bye,